42-47. We're continuing our series called Connect the Dots. Uh, we'll finish up next week. We've, this is our third Sunday. We've been talking about the vital uh, life-giving connections, the vital life-giving connections um, that we need in our life to experience all that God wants to do in us. Many of you are aware, and maybe if you're a guest today, you, you haven't heard the story. A few years ago, in 2005, my wife and I pastored a church in Gulfport, Mississippi, and um, Hurricane Katrina struck right there, right there where we lived. Our church was about two miles from the Gulf of Mexico. And when that storm blew through, it just literally, uh, it left a destruction area the size of Great Britain. It was an enormous uh, destruct, destructive force. And so we did, when we got back on the ground and we started working, we didn't have, you know, electricity. Uh, the water was uh, poisoned. Uh, we didn't have, of course, air or anything like that. And we became, quickly became a massive uh, recovery center, a, a distribution center, recovery center, medical center. We did a lot of things there. And um, we were doing that without electricity. <laughs> you know, we, so it, it was uh, dark at night, no lights, as far as your eye could see, Black Hawk helicopters flying over at night with big searchlights. It was a crazy, really crazy environment to be in. And since there was no power and the storm struck our building, we left every door in our building open. We propped it open and just left it open day and night, just let whatever air come through. We were serving hundreds of people on our property, and uh, at that time, and there were about 100 people that lived on our property, volunteers from all over the country. And so they would stay in there with, you know, they'd have maybe have a generator with a fan blowing on them, and that's it. And we were in the South Mississippi heat. It was, it was flaming hot. I mean, it was blazing, just, just north of hell, slightly, really hot. And so you can imagine the environment that we're living in here, and we had to feed those hundred volunteers every day. So we had to feed them, you know, whatever we could find. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have any of that. So we took the refrigerated stuff and put it in coolers, and we had to go do an ice run because the traffic, that was about, that was about a three- to four-hour run that was only a few miles away, but because of the traffic, you couldn't, the, the population of the coast uh, quadrupled. Uh, and so our little road system, it wasn't prepared for that, and it went from maybe 300,000 to a little over a million people uh, quickly because of all the effort that came in. And so you go get an ice run, you'd ice everything down, pull it out, it would melt by the end of the day, you'd start over. So we, we literally had nothing. Our first worship service, we had no power. We had generators with fans blowing across our gym like that. And it was tough. We would work during the day because as nightfall came, you, you couldn't work anymore. Work was over, you couldn't see. And I still remember about three, four weeks maybe, I still remember the day the power came on. <laughs> oh man, it was like, it's like we had done a rain dance for six months and it started raining again. When the power came back on and you heard those generators kick and you saw the lights coming on and you felt the air blowing out of the vent. You know, we could shut the doors, and we had, we had air conditioning. We had refrigeration. So our work teams could sleep in the air at night. We had hot water, woo, for showers, because we stinketh. And we had hot water, and we had air conditioning, and we had air for our worship service. Imagine trying to have a nursery in your church with no air. Any young parents in here? Yes. 
And then ch- children's church had, had air conditioning. We had refrigeration. We could cool and freeze the food. We, we had uh, uh, hot water. Our computers were back up and running again. We could shut the doors. We could even work at night. We had gotten fancy. We could work with the lights on at night. I still remember the day the power came on. When we got, when we got reconnected with that power source, man, life got a whole lot better. And that's what this series has been all about. When you have the right connections in your life, life makes sense. Life works. Sometimes we live dry, sort of week to week, surface, just get through another day, just get through another week, and we can't seem to get deeper. We feel stuck in our spiritual lives, and they can just feel dull. And usually that's because... We don't have the right connections. Like connecting a laptop to the internet, look at all the things that are available to you when you're connected. So what are those connections? Well, that's what we've been talking about this month. The first Sunday we talked about having a God connection, how vital it is that we stay connected to God. We talked about having weekly worship. We talked about having a daily devotion. We talked about a monthly soak service, and which is tonight. So I want to encourage you to be, you do not want to miss tonight's soak service. There is a, a, a unique stirring uh, in our church right now, and it's going to be a neat service. You don't want to miss tonight's soak service. We talked about having a God connection. We talked about having a go connection. In other words, all the things that God's doing in you has to find a way out. And so this morning, we're going to kind of bring this around by saying you also need a group connection. God, go, group. For your spiritual life to work, you have to have a relational connection to the body of Christ. Until you do, you you will struggle. You will be on the outside looking in. Your spiritual life will never take on the momentum it needs to without some kind of relational connection with other believers. Now look at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. We're going to take a little journey this morning back to the first church. And as we, as we read how the first church functioned, I want you to pay special attention to a few things. I want you to pay attention every time we read one of these phrases, that they shared food, or they ate together, or they fellowshiped, or if you see the word together. I want you to pay attention to those, shared food, fellowship, and together. Now let's look at Acts 2 together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a key word in verse 42 that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Some translations may say, and to the fellowship. I I want you to circle that word in your Bible, and I want to talk to you for a minute about what that word means in its original language. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and the root of that word is where we get 
this, this group of New Testament words. We also get from that root word communion, communicate, partake, contribution, common. That word koinonia means close mutual association. Close mutual association. We call it connected. <laughs> That's how we say it in 21st century vernacular, that the dots have been connected. So for the first church, togetherness was important. So as you look at the things they did, and this is this long list of things, which one do you think would be most important? Praying, sharing, eating, the apostles' teaching, praising God, meeting at the temple, new people being added. Which one's more important? The answer is yes. All of them. We have no indication in Scripture that prayer and the apostles' teaching were more important than fellowship and togetherness. We have no indication that that's true. So this morning, if you've got your bulletin or something to write on, your smartphone, a pen, I want to give you three reasons this morning that a group connection is so important and vital for your spiritual growth in life. Here's the first one. A group connection is so important because it's a catalyst for my spiritual growth. It is a catalyst for my spiritual growth. In the first church, they could not have understood their Christianity without being in a group. They couldn't, they couldn't have divorced it, in other words. They couldn't have separated it from the community they were in and have defined it the same way. To only go to the temple, to them, would have been foreign. They ate together, prayed together, had fellowship together. This is the key element that's causing the church to explode in unprecedented ways all over the world in the 21st century. Everywhere in the world the church is exploding, there's a common thread. Relationships are intact. Either the family unit's intact, or the c culture is communal by nature, or the church is doing the work of relationship building in that culture. I, I challenge you to analyze where the church is growing all over the world today, and I guarantee you one of those three things is happening. Because this is a vital connection. The church today is basically exploding in three major areas of the world. Africa, Asia, and Latin America. It's called the, uh, uh, it's called the Latin, Latin, Latin America, Eurasia, and Africa. Those are the three places the church in the world is exploding today. All three of those, generally the relationships are intact. I'm not saying everything's perfect. But the family unit and the relationships are working. We're struggling in North America because we're so relationally broken. No-fault divorce and the separation of the family and the breakdown of the family and the mobility of the family and the affluence that has allowed us to finance our own brokenness has shattered the relational continuity of our culture. Too often in our culture, people are disposable. But relationships are, if you think about it like this, they are the highway that God's kingdom travels on. God's kingdom is moving slow in America because relationships are broken. The bridge is out. 
So in the, the most important work the church can do in America in the 21st century is to repair those relationships, to be a healer and a restorer and a reconciler and a builder of relationships, marriage relationships, family relationships, friendship, business relationships, discipleship relationships, mentoring relationships. Those relationships are vital because the kingdom of God moves on top of those. A group relational connection is a catalyst for our spiritual growth. Here's the second one. A group connection is so important because it keeps me connected to Jesus' family. Now, let me, let me, let me list for you some things that do not keep you connected to Jesus' family. I'll just, off the top of my head. A membership card. There are, we have slaughtered thousands of trees in America and, and, and honed them down in little pieces of paper we call membership cards and we have spilled the oceans with ink with people signing their name on a little membership card and saying, I'm a member of this church. And you know what? It doesn't connect you to Jesus' body. It just is a formality we go through. And so you run into somebody in the store and they say, oh, I'm a member over whatever. And you go, well... You know, give me 10 people by first name. Well, I don't know anybody there. <laughs> it's an institutional connection. That's Jesus' body's not a company. It's not an organization. It's a living, breathing organism. The only way to be grafted into it is by something living. You have to be connected to something living. And a, and a signature doesn't do that. A worship service will not keep you connected to Jesus' body. Listening to podcasts will not keep you connected to Jesus' family. How many years you've been here will not keep you connected to Jesus' family. In the end, there's only one way to stay connected to Jesus' family. It's through relationships. How does that look? Well, who do you ask to pray with you when you have a need? Uh, who's your, who's your go-to? What's their name? What's their family like? Who do you go to when you need somebody to agree with you in prayer? Do you have someone like that in your life? Who knows if your spiritual life is going up or going down? Who knows that about you? Uh, who is that? That's a relational connection. Who knows you well enough that you don't have to explain yourself before you tell them something? Well, I'm the kind of person that Whatever, whatever, whatever. Isn't it incredible when you, when you can skip all that and you just say, you know, you know me. Yeah, I know you. This is where I'm at. I thought it might be. Wow. Connected. That's what a connection looks like. I remember, um, I guess we've, we've been having soak services for about two and a half years. And I can remember maybe... I don't know, three or four months into our soak services. I can remember we were having prayer. I don't remember why. We were down here, and I remember I was standing right there. And there were just people on the prayer team all over. And I was here praying with somebody. And I saw, I saw a family standing right here. And they were waiting to be prayed for. And so when I finished up, the person left. And I was open, and so I was trying to think, are they waiting to be prayed for, or are they just, I couldn't tell. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just hang here, and if they want somebody to pray for them, that'll be okay. 
And then all of a sudden, the people next to me who were praying, they left, and that couple became, they were open for somebody to pray with them. And then that family came and prayed with them rather than with me. I thought, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, is it something, did I, did I, is there something on my face? Did I? And then it hit me. Now listen to this. It hit me. They have a relationship with them. And they came to them because they know each other. And then I said, that is it. Anybody can find a pastor. That's like not a big deal. But they got, these guys found a relationship. Now that's different. And I literally said, yes. I pray that every believer would have a relationship with some other believer that connected. That they would say, no, you guys know us. I want you to pray for us because you, you've been on this journey with us and you know what it feels like and you know where we've been and you know the whole story. And if I do the pastor, I'd have to tell them the whole story and he'd be here a half hour. But you already know. And so would you pray with us? Yes. That's what that told me. It's a connection. A group, relationships, keep you connected to Jesus' body. Here's the last one. A group connection is so important because it connects my spiritual life. It connects my spiritual life. There are basically three environments that we must have working in order to experience spiritual life at its highest. We've got to have a, a regular participation in the worship service. In other words, when Jesus' family comes together for worship and teaching and prayer, we need to come together with Jesus' family. We need to have devotions. We talked about that at the beginning of this uh, series. We need to have that personal devotion. That's that one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. But watch this. But the dots are left unconnected until you have a group. When do you do together? If you just do worship service and you just do devotions, when do you do together? When do you do common? When do you do fellowship? When do you do close mutual association? Devotions are too private. You can't gain objectivity or, or a multitude of counselors. You can't gain that by just doing devotions. Worship service is too public. You can worship in a crowd by yourself. It's too public. You can stand here week in and week out and know nobody. And then, and then you're worshiping with Jesus' family, but not in any kind of connected way. But here's the power of a group connection. A group connection is what connects your devotions and the worship service together. It is a funnel that connects them. It takes the intimacy of devotions and the power of worship service, and it translates them into powerful living because you have other people on the journey with you who are trying to live out the same life you're trying to live out. That's what the, that's what the early the first church understood. I can remember when I was about, I think, 17, and I had been a believer maybe a year and a half. And man, every time the church doors were open, man, I was there. I mean, I was there. I was, I was hungry. I wanted to know God more. I'd come into this relationship with him that changed my life. And so I went to youth service, and I went in the morning, and I went at night, and I went Wednesday, and I went to men's breakfast, and I went to clean up the yard day around the building, and whatever they had, I went. And, and I can remember this little Bible study forming uh, 
as a kind of an outgrowth of the church, under the covering of the church. But, and there was a mixture of people there. It was mostly uh, high school, young single, college age, kind of that range. The church wasn't very big, so it was kind of like all the people that age clumped together. We started a Bible study, I think on Friday nights, I can't remember. And I don't even remember whose house it was at, somebody's house. I don't, I don't remember who, who owned the house, apartment or something. We'd go over there, and we would start studying the Bible together. I don't even remember who led it. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe nobody, I don't remember. All I remember is we would sit in that living room, and we would talk about the Bible, and we would talk about what was in it, and we would talk about how to live it, and we would, and we would encourage each other. It, it was almost like a spontaneous thing. We went on for months and months and months, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, those moments of my life were some of the most exhilarating in my own spiritual growth. When we sat around, we, nobody in the room that I can remember knew what they were doing, but we had a Bible, and we had God, and we had us, and we're just in there talking it out, working it out, figuring it out, praying for each other, believing God for each other, and it was absolute New Testament explosion. And I don't, I don't remember any more than that, but I'm telling you, that did more that shaped my spiritual life. It made, it made what happened on Sunday in the worship service, and it made what my, at that time, struggling devotional life was like. It brought those things together, and it made sense out of them for me. I could, li- I could do this. I could live this. Sometimes the sermons were, were, uh, uh, seemed like a high ideal that I wasn't sure I could reach to. Sometimes devotions, I clumsily worked my way through. But as we got together in a group and talked it out, and I heard other people's insight, and I heard what they thought about the Bible, and they prayed for me, and I prayed for them, and I was able to share what was happening in my life, man, it took on a momentum that was like a, like a runaway train. I'm, uh, that season of my life, I, I, it anchored me in some things, and I didn't even know what was happening. But it was a powerful connection. Now, I want you to stop for a minute and reflect. Look back over your life at the times you grew the most spiritually. And I think most of you, if not all of you, will say, it's when you were in a growing relationship with another believer. Somewhere, somehow, somebody, it might have been accidental, it might have been formal, it might have been informal, it might have been coffee with another person one-on-one, it might have been, who knows. But the season of your life that you grew the most spiritually, I almost guarantee you, it's when you were in relationship with another believer. There are those wilderness experiences. There are those times of isolation that I've had in my life, and I grew in those, that, and that happens. I don't think they're the norm. I think they're the exception. I mean, think about, think about Jesus' life. Out in the wilderness being tempted was the exception for 40 days. Walking with the disciples for three years was the norm. And I, I'm willing to say to you, I almost guarantee you, the times of your life you've grown the most, you were in relationship with another believer somewhere. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, let's go back to the first church in the book of Acts again. They ate together, they prayed together, they studied the apostles' teaching, they, they gave together. It says they met together in the temple courts. I don't know if you caught this when we read it. They met together in the temple courts every day. Can you imagine going to church seven days a week? Every day. They met every day. Now, I want to give you two thoughts about the first century church and the 21st century church. The first century church experienced 
True Christian community, true biblical relationships in such a profound way, most people on the earth have never experienced them that way. I've never experienced that depth of Christian relationship before. And I think most people haven't. It was pure, it was close, it was unselfish, it was miraculous. They practically lived together. It was, it was wonderful. It was the ideal. It was the model. It's the picture of Jesus' family on earth. Now, I can spend the next few minutes laying out for you all they did and how we should do all that they did. I mean, I can list the seven ingredients, the seven keys on how the early church, the things they did as they met together and how we ought to do that. And if I did that, you would sit and politely smile at me and you check your watch every few minutes and the thought that would come into your mind every time I gave you a new point would be, I don't have time for that. That sounds great. Man, maybe when I retire, <laughs> maybe when my kids leave home, maybe when this is over, maybe when I can lower my work hours, maybe this, maybe that, I don't have time. Your answer to all seven would be, I don't have time. And to that, I would agree with you. Let's just agree on something. What we read in Acts chapter 2 is the ideal, it is the model, and it is the dream. And it is very difficult to pull off in our culture and in our times. I think they lived this way before people commuted, you know. You didn't have all the traffic, and it's a whole different thing. You didn't have commuting. You didn't have... Uh, and by the way, our work week is longer than theirs was. I actually went back to Leviticus, and I looked up how many non-working days an Old Testament Jew had. And you understand, when Jesus was there, they were still functioning in Old Testament times, in a sense, by religious holidays and Sabbaths. 40% of their, of their annual calendar was non-working time. It was a Sabbath, a celebration, or a feast. 40%. Depending on how generous you are with Saturdays, <laughs> you add ours, it's anywhere from 17 to 31% of our time is non-working days off. And so we live in a whole different landscape. And so for most of us, this depth of community is unattainable, but does it mean we should do nothing? Now that's the question. You can look at it and say, I can't do that. So what do I do? Nothing. No. Does it mean because we can't repeat everything that they did that we shouldn't try? Because I can't be part of some New Testament supergroup that I shouldn't do anything? Because of God's kingdom, because of our culture, because of our own spiritual lives, we have to be relationally connected to the body of Jesus. How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. I've been hoping you would. We have, our ushers have for you, our new life group directory for the fall semester. And they're going to hand it out and you can just thumb through it. I'm going to give it to you to take home, and I'll tell you how else you can use it. Our vision is to help you connect the dots, to connect to the body of Christ. And as you stay connected to the body of Christ through relationships, your spiritual life takes on a different momentum. It takes on a different intensity. Now, I understand we can't do temple court meetings seven days a week. I get it. I like get it. 
You know, we, we, our family's a very average family, and our schedule like yours is. We can't do that. What can we do? We have groups that meet all over our campus this morning during both services. So you can come for an extra hour or so on Sunday and have a group there. We have groups that meet in homes. Those meet every week. We have groups that meet in homes that meet about twice a month. So no, not killing anybody, right? Twice a month. Here's what I'm saying. You may not be able to do full monastery, communal, meet at the temple court, seven days a week living. Could you do two, day, two, two hours a month? I mean, if you can't do that, the question is don't do nothing. The question is what can you do? And so I'm just, I'm just saying to you, we've got uh, here in this directory all the new life groups that are going to be available this fall. You don't have to sign up today. Take it home, look at it, flip through it, think about it. You can go on our website today and sign up for them if you want to. You can go on our website anytime this week and sign up for them if you want to. About 135 people that weren't in a life group last year started a life group this year. That's a big deal. That's a big deal because I think that means that spiritual life is starting to flow, starting to grow in intensity in other people's lives. So that's a big deal. 135 people. Here's the other thing. This fall, I'm so excited about this, we have 10 not two, not four, not five. Maybe you say, man, if I go be part of a group, I've never been in a group before, and everybody already knows each other. We have 10 brand new life groups that have never existed before that are starting this fall. What I mean by this fall is in two weeks. So if you jump into one of our new groups that meet twice a month, they're going to meet for a semester, and they're going to quit. They're going to meet in September. They're going to meet in October. They're going to meet in November. They're going to meet six times between now and Christmas, right? So maybe you say, look, I can't be a New Testament super saint. Okay, fine. Join the crowd. But maybe you could, maybe you could jump in to one of our new groups and meet six times over the next four months. I mean, right? Every, every other week, something like that, twice a month for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Would, we can do that. So you can look through here this morning, and here's the other big deal that I wanted to share with you. Next Sunday, I want to remind you, is our, is our all-church picnic. So here's what's going to happen. Next Sunday, you're going to be given a, even a broader one of these, and I'm going to show you the connections that you can have. Next Sunday morning, all-church picnic, dress casual, bring a lawn chair. If you want to bring your own lunch, you can. We'll have food vendors here that will be ready to, uh, to serve you. Uh, we'll have Me, Me Pueblo's going to be here, and we'll have Master's Commission will be selling hot dogs and hamburgers and plates and all that. We're going to have one 9 o'clock service. Tell everybody, try to put, go ahead and put in your smartphone now while we're talking. We're going to have one 9 o'clock service, and then after the 9 o'clock service, we're going to go to the, the Legacy Center, and we're going to spend uh, the time there in lunch. We're going to have a tour for you. You can tour and meet all the life group leaders. You can tour and meet all our 30-serve coordinators. You can uh, go and see our life streams, which is our spiritual growth path. You can go and see our life streams, folks, and, and talk to them about that. Those three phases— Connect, grow, serve. Whichever one you need to jump into will be here next week. Here's what we're trying to do, though. 
I know we can't do seven days a week at the temple courts. I get that. I know you can't do it. I can't do it. But that doesn't mean you can't do anything. And so what we're saying to you is our, our all-church picnic is sponsored by next steps for a reason. We're saying, what is it that is your next step? What's your one next step? Take it. This fall, take it. I'm saying you need a relational connection somewhere. You may serve on a ministry team and have some kind of connectivity there. Fine. It's, it's not, there's not a lot of rules about this. You have to have a connection somewhere in order to keep growing. This is the directory. You can take it with you. Um, the all-church picnic is next Sunday morning at 9. Dress casual, come and eat, have fun, take the tour. That's the deal. Here's the other thing, though, that, we're, that I'm giving you this morning. It's not completely finished, but I want to give you a sneak peek into our new Kingwood Church website. Our new website is being developed and is about midway, and I want to show it to you this morning. Do we have it up? That's our new website. Now, what's cool about this is it's a new technology. If you've got your smartphone, pull it out and go to kingwoodchurch.com. Right, kingwoodchurch.com? Yes, go to kingwoodchurch.com, and it is responsive technology. So it will automatically reformat itself to fit whatever device you see it on. So if you got it on a smartphone, if you got it on a laptop, if you got it on an iPad, if you, if you got it on a desktop, it doesn't matter. However you pull it up, it will reformat itself to fit, as you're seeing there. We're trying to make connections clear. We're trying to make it as clear as we can how to, how to make those connections in your life and stay connected to the kingdom. That's what all of that's about, okay? It's not about, you know, the cool thing. It's about how do we get connections to you. If I can get us on your smartphone, if you're anything like me, you need to do something when it's on your brain because it might not come back through for a month, right? If we can get on your smartphone when you think about, oh, I really wanted to do that, then do it. It's there. If you can act on it when it's there, because I, I understand the culture we live in. So, all church picnic, directory, We'll give you a tour next week. There's a glimpse at the new church website. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and we're going to wrap up. This whole, um, this whole conversation has weighed, has weighed heavy on my heart, and I want to tell you why. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. Come on, prayer team. This has weighed heavy on my heart, and I, I want to tell you why. The, um, the essence of what we're talking about is relationships. We're, we're working hard, you know, to do relationships good. We're working hard to get better. We're working hard to be a healer, a reconciler, restorer. We're working hard in our church to be diverse, to be a good reflection of this community and of God's kingdom. We're going after it. The truth is, as we're sitting here this morning, some of you are thinking about, boy, that'd be great to do that. But man, I got, I got relationship stuff going on in my own life that I'm trying to figure out what to do with. And so as you look around, 
the weight of marriage and parenting and then teenage and adult kids sometimes and maybe maybe you're an adult and your own adult parents and maybe there's some friendships relationships in our culture uh, are hard work because there's a lot of a lot of brokenness a lot of frustration a lot of pain as a church this isn't just about getting you to do the next thing or to get you to build you know to fill the room man this is about us getting deep down into what God's kingdom is and deep down into your heart so that you might experience in your inner being all that God wants for you and that is wholeness and peace and relationships So what I want you to do is just stand with me and I'm going to call you to prayer. And here's what I want you to do. This morning, you say, we'll do do the picnic next week, okay? You can look at the life group thing. You can get on the new website. You can do all that. But right now, you say, I've got some relationship. I've got a relationship in my life that I really need God's help with. That's it. You don't have to define it. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? I'm not asking you to come tell your whole story to anybody. But that's it. Every eye closed. I'm telling you, the statistics are off the roof. And I guarantee you, there are dozens of people in this room this morning. You have relationships. And you need God's help. And that's all, all, I, all I'm going to say about it. Here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, the worship team's going to begin to sing. I just want you to come and find one of the prayer team and say, you don't even have to tell. You just say, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? If you want to tell what the relationship is, you can. If you don't, I want you to come into agreement with somebody that today God's going to begin to help you. God's going to begin to heal you. God's going to begin to restore you. God's going to begin to intervene and fix and repair and heal. He's a reconciler. Now, worship team, come on and begin to sing.